Hi, I'm Philip Mendoza Vieta, and welcome to the XVZF podcast. The story you're about to listen to was told by Andrew Eberbach on February 27th, 2014, at the Magpie Taproom in Toronto. The theme of the night was non trivial stories about the difficult. Hello. Previously on Lost. So, top of the container is about that big. It's very heavy. It's heavier than I thought it would be. And as I pick up the container, the the lid, this buzzer goes off. And it goes... And I look over to the person who's in the room with me, and she looks at me and she says... Oh, that's the, uh, that's the radiation detector. Probably should have turned that off. So I'm, I'm laying in bed one morning, and uh, I look around, and there's people in the room with me, and, you know, one of them asks me my name, and I say who I am. Another one of them knocks me out, and the third one slits my throat. If you cut this, it feels like... Like sushi. You ever have squid? You know, when you cut squid and it's like this rubbery thing and it's weird. And, and I didn't think that human flesh would feel like that when you cut it. It's not a conventional neck massage. So it's, it's weird and, and you don't think the person's an RMT, but, but then she gives me this really weird look and it's really disconcerting. And some people have a really bad poker face. You know that Google commercial where, where the guy's like, study abroad in Paris, and then, like, uh, how to impress a girl in French, and then how to buy a, a, assemble a crib. Yeah, it, it's like that situation. I should probably call shoppers. When I was trying to think about this talk, and I thought back in time over the, um, the last year and a half, it, it was kind of like keyframes in a movie, and these moments would kind of just stand out. And, and by themselves, the moments were really, really surreal and weird, but, but they were like the key parts. And it's like from moment to moment, everything between there is kind of fuzzy, but these were the moments. And so I'm going to kind of go back now through those moments so it makes a bit more sense. I, I write codes for a living. I don't know if that makes sense to people. I work for myself, which means that I have a lot of bosses instead of just one. And I don't really have a safety net of full-time employment or benefits and things like that, to give you some context. And so maybe 2012, in about May, I found out that I was going to be perpetually sleep-deprived for a while. So my wife had just finished running her uh, half marathon, which I think is mm, um, a strange thing to do. And, and she decided that now, with all the adrenaline and endorphins, it was time to find out if we need to buy baby clothes. And so I, I went to the shoppers, and, and it was the shoppers that I always went to to buy. It's essentially the opposite of a pregnancy test. And I thought, like, this is, this is one of those, like, really good commercials for shoppers. A fun fact for anyone who's ever in this situation, if you get two of them, and they're separate, and they both clearly show, like, you're good. Some doctors won't even do a blood test. It's that, like, it's that improbable that they're both going to show a positive result. Just fun fact. So the, the rest of that summer was, like, a lot of planning and a lot of, like, oh, what are we going to do, and, and what hospital, and how is it going to go? 
you know, that kind of thing. And, and given that I was working for myself, there was a lot of introspection about, well, what's it going to be like? Like, am I going to get this feeling of like, oh, I'm, I'm a dad now and i got to go get a real job and, and, you know, forget all this contracting crap. And so, you know, that was kind of in my mind. And then in August, I, as I normally do, I went for a physical. I'm assuming people have gone for physicals, but like, you know, they kind of like, it's like a massage, right? It's like, they fill you up and then they play with your junk and then you cough and then you go home. And, it, and it's always, you know, I, I always think about like, what, what are they going to find, really? Like this person's like just feeling you up and it's like, and they do it in such a familiar, not a familiar way, but, but in a nonchalant way. It's like brushing your teeth. It's like you don't think they're paying attention. They're not really doing anything useful. And then they get this look and, they, and, and I caught the look and, you know, doctors are very good at detaching and all this, but, but sometimes you caught them, get them off guard. And my doctor was, was, was doing a, what's called a neck palpitation. And so she was feeling up and then she stopped. And the look was very, very, very precise. It was like, crap. And then she went back and she redid it. And I said, ah, oh, that's not routine. That's not good. And, and so, you know, when people say, but, so, so some people, if, if you say, but after, you know, a phrase or something, then that means that everything that came before the, but was not true. I would vote for him, but, or that's a really great idea, but, or, or this one, it's like, oh, well, you know, it's probably nothing, but you should probably go get that checked out. But it's probably nothing, you know, it's just overabundance of caution. Okay, um, that's, that's weird. So I went and, and I got it checked out. And one of these things you, you don't really think about much, what a cancer diagnosis is. So generally it's kind of abstract and it's like, oh, you know, kids and, or, or old people and like you're bald and things are bad and it's done. But, but you don't really know the feeling of having someone like a surgeon looking at you and saying the words carcinoma. You're like, uh-huh, survival rate. Okay. Especially not with your pregnant significant other sitting beside you. That's quite, a, quite an experience. The, the thing was, the, the term itself, cancer, is, is kind of like a, it's kind of like fire, right? So if somebody comes up and runs up to you and says, there's a fire, you're not going to say, oh my God, we're all dead. You're going to find out what kind of, a, you know, how big is a fire? So, as an analogy, let's say we have a stage one fire. That would be like, you know, a toaster smoldering. And a stage two fire would be like a frying pan grease on fire. And a stage three fire would be the room is on fire. And a stage four fire would be an airplane has crashed into the building and jet fuel has set fire to the top four floors. Right? So it's all fire. And, but it's not all, you know, you don't react to it in the same way. But cancer, when people say cancer, they say, you know, they assume it's the, the building's on fire, right? And, that, and it carries that kind of baggage with it. And, and raise your hand if you know what your thyroid does. Anyone? All right. So I had no idea what my thyroid did, except thought that if you, if you have a hyperthyroid, then you were kind of irritable. And if you had a hypothyroid, then you were is the opposite of irritable. I don't know. So, so, so I was explained to me what, what the thyroid does, and, and I'd like to thank Wikipedia. And also, I hate Wikipedia. Going back to that stage analogy, there were 
there are two types of cancers that are kind of at the spectrum of this thyroid cancer thing. On the one hand, you have what's called papillary cancer, which is a 90% survival rate, first two stages, very common as these things go. On the other side of it, you have anaplastic thyroid cancer, which is less than 10% survival rate at any stage. And so when you're kind of going through the mental preparation for all this, you're like, well, let's, let's say I want to cover both eventualities and just be ready in case whatever. It's hard. And the same with a fire analogy, because in one situation, you're like, well, you know, I'm glad I caught it early and, and, uh, and, you know, hope I'm not out for too long. And the other one is, let's go travel the world, right? It's, these things are very, very far apart. So did I mention that I was, uh, my wife was pregnant at the time. So, so if you throw the baby into that, it's like everything becomes amplified for obvious reasons. And so you have this, like, all these thoughts and all these what-ifs, and it's like a cross-product of, like, what if this and that or that? And so that was happening, and now we're into November. If you do the math, his due date uh, was January, and my surgery was February. So a month apart, and at that point, it was two months from the first of those events. And January came pretty fast, and, and, and there was a lot of waiting. You know, there's... Like, you get, you go for a test, and then you wait. And then you go for another test, and then you wait. And then my wife went for a test, and then we wait, 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 wait. And then the baby's coming, and then you're just waiting for the baby to show up. And all this time, you're waiting, 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 and it's a lot of thinking. One thing that my surgeon told me early on, he was like, you know what? You won't understand this until later, but the waiting is the hardest part of this. I was like, uh-huh, okay. Um, doesn't make sense, but whatever. So then the, the, the test to figure out if I have the bad one or the good one comes back, and it's like, okay, you got papillary. And, and everyone's like, that's the good one. I'm like, that's the good cancer. Okay. Is that like the good firing squad? Like, like how, does that, how does that work? And, and, you know, I'd ask a bunch of doctors who were friends and things like that, and every time I'd ask them, they'd all be like, oh, you have papillary. <laughs> okay, you're good. I was like, no, but I have cancer. No, 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 you're, you're good. Relax. And it was, it was very disconcerting. But it was also really reassuring because they were also dismissive. And I didn't, know, I didn't know what was going on with that. And the baby comes, and I'm not going to try to explain to people what it's like, like what the before and after is. And, and before, you know, I was asking everyone, I was like, oh, what's it like? Like, what do you feel like? And you describe it. And they're like, you can't. And I thought that people were just really not creative enough to explain it. And I was like, I'll be able to explain it. And then I went through it. And I realize I can't. And the, the best way for me to explain how I can't explain it is if you try to imagine, does everyone know what chlorine t- smells like? Okay, now, imagine explaining what chlorine smells like to a person who has never smelled chlorine. They're, they have no basis for comparison. That's what it's like. But, but the moment was incredibly, is incredibly humbling, and it was an incredible moment, and I cut his umbilical cord with scissors, and which felt like sushi. Like, that was the one, you know, I'm cutting that, and I'm like, this is like sushi, and it's like squid. It's like, it's like, it's a rubbery, but you can still get through it. And I'm carrying him around, and, and it's this, this moment, and, and, and I went back to the time when I was talking to a friend of mine who had just had his, uh, his son, and we're in the TD dungeon cafeteria, and he sits down, and, and he looks at me, he's like, don't, don't have kids. Just, just don't do it. And I was thing, number one. And the, and the other thing he said, and he was contracting at the time, he said, 
the moment I held my son, I realized I have responsibilities and I have to get a real job and feed this thing and clothe this thing and, and like forget all this contracting crap. And for me, that was like, I, I, I had accepted that I didn't know what was on the other side of this one-way mirror of going from not parent to parent. And, and I was trying to figure out, like, what is it going to be? What am I going to, like, am I going to hold this thing and, and think no more? And it was the opposite. It was a very empowering experience. It was one of those, like, uh-huh. And everything kind of cleared away. And so I went for my operation. Like, he turned one month, and the very next morning, I was going for my operation. And I was perfectly serene at that point. I mean, up until that point, it was like stress was going like, like that. Um, and, and at that point, you know, I'm sitting with like a, a port in my arm for my anesthetic, and then I'm reading my Kindle and just chilling. Um, and, and they wheel you into the, the, the operating room, and, you, and they kind of ask your name a bunch of times and count instruments, and you can think about why they do that. And then you wake up a couple seconds later, and it's done. And, and there's nothing, really. The worst part was the waiting. The second worst part was telling people, which is you get kind of good at couching things. And the one thing you know, that I want to tell, two things, two things for everyone here. One is get physicals. There's pluses and minuses. There's pros and cons. There's overdiagnosis and all this stuff. But for shits and grins, because all the things that I was talking about, the imprecision of feel and all that, they're still able to catch a lot of stuff. I'm not saying everyone's going to, you know, everyone's having it. But at least if you're not going to do it, make a conscious decision and say, no, I don't want to risk this. The other thing is <laughs> get life insurance. Because afterwards, it's not that it's more expensive. You can't get it. You will not be insurable. Like they'll just, like 10-foot pole, no. So anyway, the, the last bit. So after the surgery and, and all that, the last part of the, the treatment, and there's no chemo or anything like that, which is the other reason why everyone kind of brushes this cancer off, is you have to abstain from iodine for two weeks, and then you get to eat radioactive iodine. And what that does is it goes into your body, finds whatever thyroid cells are left, and destroys them, because they love to eat iodine, and you just starve them of iodine. And so I, I went to, to the hospital, and, and you go into the room, and, and the technician there is kind of sitting, and, and she's... She leaves the room, right? She's like, well, you know, here's the radioactive stuff. Have fun. And then she goes, gets a Geiger counter and measures you to make sure you're radioactive, <laughs> which is really weird. So you do that, and, and, you know, she steps out of the room, and this alarm goes off, and you're like, oh, well, it makes sense, right? You can't feel this stuff. You can't see it. And she works with it every day. So if, for, for whatever reason, she forgot, and the, the thing wasn't closed, like, you're exposing yourself to radiation. So anyway, so, so the instructions are take the, the big cylinder off and take the, the pill box out, swallow the pill, and you're radioactive for a couple of days, go home. So I, I got to go home. Obviously, nobody could be around me for a couple of days, which means that, and I had to eat a lot of candy because your salivary glands can get damaged. So I went home, radioactive. I got to sleep for a couple of days without a baby screaming. I ate a lot of candy. And then, without any irony, I played Half-Life 2. That was Andrew Eberbeck. Andrew is the Eber behind Ebertech, a Toronto-based Ruby development firm. Talk Audio was recorded by Tavi Burns. Laura Satula was greeting at the door, and our bartender was Amelia. XVZF is a project by David Wolliver and Philip Mendoza-Vieta. 
XVZF is a regularly occurring night for Toronto tech workers to come together and share true personal stories. Find out more at xvzf.io.